I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. What's that? It's a purring cat. He is crawling all over me. I'm back down in the basement because I'm uh, feeling a little bit more secure about the mice situation down here. And I realized uh, recording up in my nook, though idyllic, is, uh, just makes you lazy. I'm reclining in a chair with a microphone I've hooked up and all sorts of stuff, and it just sort of like lazy and not into it. And tried to record an episode of The Book Boys with Ben last week. And uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't feeling it. I just wanted to take a nap, so that's kind of weird. My life's been on hold uh, over the last week or so because uh, work has stunk. There's just me and one other guy that does what we do, and he was on furlough for a week. And uh, then, of course, everything starts falling apart. He's worked there the longest, so he knows all the secrets, and I don't. So there's a lot of me getting pulled into meetings... Uh, people asking me why I don't know how to fix it. Uh, me saying, uh, leave me alone. It's frustrating. And it was all my time. I was supposed to be furloughed on Friday and they dragged me into meetings and stuff. So my day was spent working. So it kind of just makes you sort of sit there and not have anything else interesting go on in your life. Uh, I haven't lost any weight. I'm stuck at my certain weight. It doesn't matter how much I exercise or eat. I'm just stuck at a certain weight. So I just have to accept the fact that uh, I'm old and fat. Uh, that's kind of it. Oh, now the cat's rubbing the microphone. That's not something we do. Uh, the weather is hot and cold and hot and cold and hot and cold, so me being old, uh, my sinuses act up and now my head hurts all the time. It's very frustrating. My nose is running. It just sucks. So, this last week, got nothing to report, uh, except the frustration. Just general frustration. So, with that, let's, uh dive into uh, our next short story from the best Russian short stories. Uh, This one called One Autumn Night by Maxim Gorky. Maxim Gorky, uh, Alexei Maxiovich Peshkov. I was born in Russia on uh, 16th of March, 1868, and he lived until 18th of June, uh, 1936, primarily known as Maxim Gorky. He's a Russian and Soviet writer, a founder of the surrealist realism literary method, and a political activist. He's also a five-time nominee of the Nobel Prize in Literature, Prior to his renown as an uh, renown as an author, he frequently changed jobs and roamed across the Russian Empire. These experiences would later influence his writing. 
Uh, famous works of lower depths. Uh, 26 Men and a Girl. The Song of the Stormy Petrel. Uh, My Childhood. Uh, Mother. Oh, as time went on, his titles got uh, slimmer and slimmer. Summer Folk. And Children of the Sun. Uh, he had associations with Leo Tolstoy, Anton Chekhov, and Gorky would later mention them in his memoirs. Uh, he was active in the emerging Marxist communist movement, and he publicly opposed the czarist regime. So, knowing all that, uh, it was Joseph Stalin's personal invitation to live in the USSR until his death. So, there you go. You got that. That's interesting and all. Uh, what's more interesting is the editor who compiled all these short stories. I looked him up. Uh, he was born in Russia in 1875, and he died in New York City in 1943. Uh, he was a Russian-American translator uh, and editor. He worked at various places. Uh, what made him interesting is that, uh, oh, he could fuss and fight. Uh, so what I read out of the Wikipedia is, as a result of, because uh, he had his own publishing company, uh, publishing controversial writers, Seltzer, Thomas Seltzer, was attacked by the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice in 1922. And all copies of D.H. Lawrence's Women in Love and Arthur Schnitzer's Casanova Homecoming and the anonymously written A Young Girl's Diary were confiscated. Seltzer refused to back down, retaining a lawyer and fighting the attempted censorship in the court case of The People vs. Seltzer, uh, although victorious, it was not to be the end of Seltzer's fight against censorship, as he was charged with publishing unclean books in 1923. Once again, D.H. Lawrence, Women in Love, was the impetus for the charges. Fighting censorship charges eventually led Seltzer's publishing efforts into bankruptcy. The business was taken over by Seltzer's nephews, Charles and Albert. Uh, he died in New York in 1943, three years after his wife's uh, death. He had no children. So he not only put together a fun little book of, uh, of uh, Russian short stories, he also was fighting for censorship uh, or against it. What a nice guy. So with that, let's dive into our story. One Autumn Night by Maxim Gorky. Once... In the autumn, I happened to be in a very unpleasant and inconvenient position. In the town where I had just arrived, uh, where I, I knew not a soul, I found myself without a farthing in my pocket uh, without a night's lodging. Having sold, uh, during the first few days, every part of my costume, uh, without which it was still possible to go about, I passed from the town into a quarter called Yist. Y-S-T-E. Yist where there was a steamship, wharves, a quarter which during the navigation season fermented with boisterous, laborious life, but now was silent ah, uh, and deserted, for we were in the last days of October. Dragging my feet along the moist sand and obstinately scrutinizing it with the desire to discover in it any sort of fragment of food, I wandered alone among the deserted buildings and warehouses and thought how good it would be to get a full meal. In our present state of culture, eh, hunger of the mind is more quickly satisfied than hunger of the body. You wander about the streets, eh, you're surrounded by buildings, eh, not bad looking from the outside, and you may safely say it, not so badly furnished inside. And the sight of them may excite within you, stimulating ideas about architecture, uh, hygiene, 
hygiene, and many other wise and high-flying subjects. Hygiene is a high-flying subject. You may meet uh, warmly and neatly dressed folks, all very polite and turning away from you uh, tactfully, not wishing offensively to notice the lamentable fact of your existence. Well, well, the mind of a hungry man is always better nourished and healthier uh, than the mind of the well-fed man. And there you have a situation uh, from which you may draw a very ingenious conclusion in favor of the ill-fed. The evening it was approaching. The rain was falling. And the wind blew violently uh, from the north. Oh, it whistled in the empty booths and shops, blew into the plastered window panes of the taverns, and whipped into foam, ah, the wavelets of the river, which splashed noisily on the sandy shore, casting their high white crests, uh, racing one after another eh, into the dim distance, and, and leaping uh, impetuously over one another's shoulders. Ah, 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 ah. It seemed as if the river felt the proximity of winter, and was running at random away from the fetters of ice, which the north wind might well have flung upon her that very night. Uh, the sky was heavy uh, and dark, uh, down from it swept incessantly scarcely visible drops of rain, uh, and the melancholy uh, eulogy in nature all around me was emphasized by a couple of battered and mishappen uh, willow trees in a boat, ah, ah, bottom upwards. That was fastened to their roots. The overturned canoe, with its battered keel, its miserable old trees rifled by the cold wind, everything around me was bankrupt, ah, barren and dead, ugh, and the sky flowed with undryable tears. Ugh. Everything around was waste and gloomy. It seemed as if everything were dead, leaving me alone uh, among the living, and for me also a cold death waited. I was 18 years old. Oh, a good time. I walked and walked along the cold, wet sand, making my chattering teeth wearable in honor of cold and hunger, and suddenly, as I was carefully searching for something to eat behind one of the empty crates, I perceived behind it, uh, crouching on the ground, a figure in women's clothes, dank with the rain, and clinging fast to her stooping shoulders. Uh, standing over her, I watched to see what she was doing. It appeared she was digging a trench in the sand with her hands, digging away under one of the crates. Uh, why are you doing that? I asked crouching down on my heels, uh, quite close to her. She gave a little scream <laughs> and was quickly on her legs again. Now that she stood there staring at me with her wide-open gray eyes full of terror, I perceived that it was a girl of my own age uh, with a very pleasant face embellished, unfortunately, by the large blue marks. Uh, this spoilt her, Ugh. although these blue marks had been distributed uh, with a remarkable sense of proportion, uh, one at a time, and all were of equal size. Two under the eyes and one a little bigger on the forehead, uh, just over the bridge of the nose. This symmetry uh, was evidently the work of an artist well inured to the business of spoiling the human physiognomy. Uh, the girl looked at me uh, in the terror of her eyes gradually dying out. Uh, she shook the sand from her hands, adjusted her cotton headgear, uh, cowered down and said, uh, I suppose you too want something to eat. Uh, dig away, then. My hands are tired. Uh, over there, she nodded her head in the direction of a booth. Uh, there's bread for certain, uh, and sausages, too. Uh, that booth is still carrying on business. Oh, I began to dig. She, after waiting a little while looking at me, sat down beside me and began to help me. Uh, we worked in silence. I cannot say for how, whether I thought it was at the moment of the criminal code or morality or proprietorship and all the other things about which, in the opinion of many experienced persons, uh, 
one ought to think every moment of one's life, wishing to keep as close to the truth as possible. I must confess that apparently I was so deeply engaged in digging under the crate that I completely forgot about uh, everything else, except for this one thing. Oh, what could be inside that crate? The evening drew on. The gray, moldy, call, uh, cold fog grew thicker and thicker around us. The waves roared uh, with a hollower sound than before, and the rain pattered down onto the boards of that crate more loudly and more frequently. Somewhere or other, the night watchman began springing his rattle. Has it got a bottom or not? I softly inquired my assistant. I did not understand what she was talking about, and I kept silent. Yeah, uh, I say, has the crate got a bottom? Uh, if it has, uh, we shall try in vain to break into it. Here we are digging a trench, and we may, after all, come upon nothing but solid boards. Uh, how should we take them off? Better smash the lock. It's a wretched lock. Good ideas rarely visit the heads of women. Oh, jeez. But as you see, uh, they do visit them sometimes. I have always valued good ideas, and have always tried to utilize them as far as possible. Having found the lock, I tugged at it uh, and wrenched off the whole thing. My accomplice immediately stooped down and wriggled like a serpent <laughs> into the gaping open. Uh, the four-cornered cover of the crate, uh, when she called me uh, to me approvingly in a low tone, uh, you're a brick. Whatever that means. Nowadays, a little crumb of praise from a woman is dearer to me than a whole dithyram. Let's look up what dithyram is. Go on, Dithyram, a wild choral hymn of ancient Greece. Okay. From a man, even though he be more eloquent than all the ancient modern orders put together. Then, however, I was less amiably disposed uh, than I am now, and paying no attention to the compliment of my comrade, I asked her curtly and anxiously, uh, Is there anything? In a monotonous tone, she set about calculating our discoveries. Uh, a basket full of bottles, uh, thick furs, a sunshade, uh, an iron pail. All this was an, an edible. I felt that my hopes had vanished, but suddenly she exclaimed vivaciously, Ah, here it is. What? A bread. A loaf. It's only wet. Take it. A loaf flew at my feet, and after it herself. My valiant comrade, I have already bitten off a morsel, stuffed it in my mouth, and was chewing him. Uh, come, give me some, too. And uh, we mustn't stay here. Uh, where should we go? She looked inquiringly about on all sides. It was dark, wet, and boisterous. Uh, look, there's an upset canoe yonder. Uh, let's, let us go there. Uh, let us go, then. And off we set, demolishing our booty as we went and filling our mouths with large portions of it. The rain grew more violent, the river roared, and from somewhere or other resounded a prolonged mocking whistle, just as if someone great who feared nobody was whistling down on all earthly institutions, and along with them, this horrid autumnal wind, and us, its heroes. Uh, this whistling made my heart throb painfully in spite of which I greedily went on eating. And in this respect, the girl, walking on my left hand, uh, kept even pace with me. Uh, what, do they, what do they call you? I asked her. Uh, why, I know not. Uh, Natasha, she answered shortly, munching loudly. I stared at her. My heart ached within me, and then I started to get into the mist before me, and it seemed to me as if the 
The inimical countenance of my destiny was smiling at me enigmatically and coldly. The rain scourged the timbers off the skiff incessantly, and its soft patter induced melancholy thoughts, and the wind whistled as it flew down into the boat's battered bottom through the rift, and there were some loose splinters of wood that were rattling together a disquieting and depressing sound. Oh, the waves of the river were splashing on the shore and sounded so monotonous and hopeless, just as if they were telling something unbearably dull and heavy, which was boring them into utter disgust, something of which they wanted to run away and yet were obliged to talk about all the same. That is a big, long sentence. From the waves of the river were splashing all the way to more of the same. Nothing but commas. The sound of the rain blended with their splashing, and a long-drawn sigh seemed to be floating above the overturned skiff, the endless laboring sigh of the earth. Injured and exhausted by the eternal changes from the bright and warm summer to the cold and misty and damp autumn. Oh, the wind blew continually over the desolate shore, and the foaming river blew and sang its melancholy songs. Our position beneath the shelter of the skiff was utterly devoid of comfort. It was narrow and damp. Tiny cold drops of rain dribbled through the damaged bottom. Gusts of wind penetrated it. Oh, we sat in silence and shivered with the cold. I remembered that I wanted to go to sleep. Uh, Natasha leaned her back against the hull of the boat and curled herself up into a, a tiny ball, embracing her knees with her hands and resting her chin upon them. Yeah, she stared doggedly at the river, uh, the wide-open eyes, uh, out of the pale patch of her face that they seemed immense because of the blue marks below them. She never moved. And this immobility and silence, I felt it, gradually produced within me a terror of my neighbor. Oh, I want to talk to her, but I do not how to begin. It was she herself uh, who spoke. Uh, what a cursed thing life is, she exclaimed plainly, abstractedly, and in a tone of deep conviction. Uh, this is no complaint, uh, no complaint. In these words, there is too much indifference for a complaint. The simple soul thought according to her understanding, thought and proceeding to form a certain conclusion, which she expressed aloud, and which I could not confute for fear of contradicting myself. Therefore, I was silent. And she, as if she had not noticed me, continued to sit there, immovable. Uh, even if we croaked, uh, what then? Natasha began again, uh, this time quietly and reflectively. And still there was not one note of complaint in her words. It was plain that this person, in the course of her reflections on life, was regarding uh, her own case, and had arrived at the conviction that in order to preserve herself from the mockeries of life, she was not in a position to do anything else but simply croak, to use her own expression. The clearness of this line of thought was inexpressibly sad and painful to me, and I felt that if I kept silence any longer, I was really bound to weep. Oh, and it would have been shameful to have done this before a woman, Ugh. especially if she is not weeping herself. I resolved to speak to her. Uh, who was it uh, that knocked you about? I asked. For the moment, I could not think of anything more sensible or more delicate. Uh, Pashka did it all, she answered in a dull, level tone. Uh, who's he? Uh, my lover. He was a baker. Uh, did he beat you often? This was a great conversation. Whenever he was drunk, he beat me often. And suddenly, turning toward me, she began to talk about herself, Pashka, and their mutual relations. Uh, he was a baker with the red mustaches. Well, with red mustaches. Like more than one? 
and played very well on the banjo. Ah, well, that's nice. He came to see her and greatly pleased her, for he was a merry chap and wore clean, nice clothes. And he, and he had a vest, which uh, cost 15 rubles, and boots with just tops. For these reasons, she had fallen in love with him, and he became her creditor. And when he became her creditor, he made it his business to take away uh, from her the money which her other friends gave to her for bonbons and getting drunk on all this money. Oh, you'd fall to beating her. Uh, that would have been nothing if it had also been to uh, run after other girls before her very eyes. Surprising that the beating is the less offensive thing. Ah, uh, cultures. Now, wasn't that an insult? Uh, I'm not worse than the others, of course, that meant that he was laughing at me. Uh, the black guy. The day before yesterday, I asked leave of my mistress to go out for a bit and went to him. And there I found Dimka uh, sitting beside him drunk. And he, too, was half seas over. I said, ah, oh, you scoundrel, you. And he gave me a thorough hiding. Uh, he kicked me and dragged me by the hair, but that was nothing to come with after. He spoiled everything I had on, left me just as I am now. How could I appear before my mistress? He spoiled everything, my dress and my jacket, too. It is quite a new one. Uh, I gave a fiver for it and tore my kerchief uh, from my head. Oh, Lord. What will become of me now? She suddenly whined in a lamentable, overstrained voice. Oops, kind of burped there. While the wind howled and became ever colder and more boisterous, again my teeth began to dance up and down, uh, and she huddled up to avoid the cold, pressed as closely to me as she could, so that I could see uh, the gleam of her eyes through the darkness. What wretches all you men are! I'd burn all of you in an oven. I'd cut you to pieces. If any one of you was dying, I'd spit in his mouth and not pity him a bit. Mean skunks! Yeah, you wheedle and wheedle, you wag your tails like cringing dogs, and we fools give ourselves up to you, and it's all up with us. Immediately you trample us underfoot, miserable loafers. She cursed us up and down. My cat's here now. Come on, guy, move. <laughs> move it. She cursed us up and down, yeah, but there was no vigor, no malice, no hatred of these miserable loafers uh, or cursing that I could hear. The tone of her language was by no means corresponded with its subject matter, uh, for it was calm enough, and the gamut of her voice was terribly poor. Yet all this made a stronger impression on me than the most eloquent and convincing pessimistic... Why do you, the cat's trying to sniff my lips as I'm reading. A uh, stronger impression on me than the most eloquent and convincing pessimistic books and speeches, of which I had a really good many, and which I still read to this day. And this, you see, was because the agony of a dying person is much more natural and violent than the most uh, minute and picturesque descriptions of death. I felt really wretched. More from cold than from the words of my neighbor, I groaned softly and ground my teeth. Almost at the same time, uh, I felt two little arms about me. Oh, and one of them touched my neck, and the other one lay upon my face. And at the same time, uh, an anxious, gentle, friendly voice uttered the question, uh, What ails you? I was ready to believe that someone else was asking me this, and not Natasha, who had just declared that all men were scoundrels, and expressed a wish uh, for their destruction. But it was she, and now she began speaking quickly and hurriedly. Oh, what else you, huh? Uh, I cold? Are uh, you frozen? Ah, uh, what a one you are, sitting there so silent, like a, like a little owl. <laughs> Why, you should have told me long ago. Hey, cold cup, lie on the ground, stretch yourself out, and I will lie. There, how's that? 
Now put your arms around me. Yeah, tighter. How's that? Now you'll be warm very soon now, and then we'll lie back to back. Ah, the night will pass so quickly, and if it won't, I say, have you been uh, drinking? (laughs) Turned out of your place. Ah, It doesn't matter. And she comforted me, and she encouraged me. May I be thrice accursed? Oh, what a world of irony was that in this single fact for me. Just, Just imagine... Here was I, seriously occupied at this time with the destiny of humanity, thinking of the reorganization of the social system of uh, political revolutions and reading all sorts of devilishly wise books whose abysmal profundity was certainly unfathomable. And by their very authors, at this time, I say, I was trying with all my might to make of myself a potent, active social force. It even seemed to me that I had partially accomplished my object. Anyhow, at this time... Uh, In my ideas about myself, I had got so far as to recognize that I had an exclusive right to exist, that I had uh, the necessary greatness to deserve to live my life, and that I was fully competent to play a great historical part therein. And the woman was now warming me with her body. The wretched, battered, hunted creature who had no place and no value in life and whom I had never thought of helping till she helped me herself, and who I really would not have known how to help in any way, even if I thought it occurred to me. Ah, I was ready to think that all this was happening to me in a dream, in a disagreeable and oppressive dream. But eh, it literally says UGH. It was impossible for me to think that, for cold drops of rain were dripping down upon me and the woman was pressing close to me. Her warm breath was fanning my face. And... Despite the slight odor of vodka, it did me good. Ah, the wind howled and raged, the rain smote upon the skiff, and the waves splashed, and the both of us embracing each other convulsively. Nevertheless, uh, shiver with cold, all this was only too real, and I am certain that nobody ever dreamed such an oppressive and horrible dream as that reality. Oh, but Natasha was talking all the time of something or another, talking kindly and sympathetically, as only women can talk. Beneath the influence of her voice and kindly words, a little fire began to burn up within me. Something inside my heart thawed in consequence. Uh, Then tears poured from my eyes, uh, like a hailstorm, uh, washing away from my heart uh, much that was evil, uh, much that was stupid, much sorrow and dirt which had fastened upon it before that night. Natasha uh, comforted me. Uh, Come, come, that'll do, little one. Don't take on. Uh, That'll do. God will give you another chance. Uh, You will right yourself and stand in your proper place again, and it will be all right. And she kept kissing me. Many kisses did she give me, burning kisses, and all for nothing. Those were the first kisses from a woman that had ever been bestowed upon me. And they were the best kisses, too. For all the subsequent kisses cost me frightfully dear, it really gave me nothing at all in exchange. Oh, come, don't take on so funny one. I'll manage for you tomorrow if you cannot find a place. Her quiet, persuasive whispering sounded in my ears as if it came through a dream. There... We laid until dawn. When dawn came, we crept from behind the skiff and went into the town. And then we took friendly leave of each other and never met again. Although for half a year I searched in every hole and corner for that kind Natasha with whom I spent the autumn night just described. If she be already dead, well, for her, if it were so, she may rest in peace. And if she be alive... Still, I say, peace be to her soul, uh, and may the consciousness of her fall uh, never enter her soul. Uh, For that would be a superfluous and fruitless suffering if life is to be lived.
there you go. Uh, all my life, I've heard the stereotype that Russian authors are depressing. And I think I've probably only ever read uh, Dostoevsky, uh, Crime and Punishment, some of his short stories. And I thought, you know, it was depressing, but I'm like, eh, it's probably just, you know, an unfair stereotype. But all these short stories, and they are the best Russian short stories, have been very, very depressing so far. Uh, what do we learn from this? Uh, we learn that if you're down and out, got no place to stay, you've sold off almost all your clothing just to pay for some basic food, uh, find a homeless woman. Not only will she help you dig through boxes to find wet bread, but she uh, will snuggle with you and give you a bunch of kisses. That's something everyone wants. I guess I wouldn't turn down a homeless woman that would kiss me. Uh, weird that it comes from a time and a place where a woman getting beaten wasn't such a big deal, but uh, wrecking her clothes was the most offensive part. And uh, chasing around after other women was more offensive than the physical beating. So that's kind of mind-blowing, but, uh, you know, what am I going to say about it? It was written a long time ago. How does this tie into what I said before? Uh, well, if things get frustrating at work and eats up all your time and you don't do anything else except for work, go find a homeless woman uh, to give you kisses. And I think that's what we learned. Ben could use this advice. He's single. I should tell Ben about this story. I think he misses the kisses. Well, with that, thanks for listening. Uh, I will be back later this week with another episode.